Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We have a lot of videos of the podcast and various other tutorials on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash YouTube. Happy mixing and enjoy the show. Back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me today is my temporary co-host, James D. Que pasa, y'all? How's it going? I will properly reintroduce James and give him the credit that he deserves because I forgot to do that till midway through last episode. But James, this new guy here, this new face, this new voice, James is currently transitioning to take over... Um, the co-host position of the exclusive episodes, which you can get access to via mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive, where James and I and Brayden uh, break down different mix techniques, production techniques, uh, mastering techniques, and talk about why it's effective, why it's not, and give homework and advice to help you make better songs, to level it up. It's all 100% technical, they're short, they're concise, and we take um, techniques and quotes from other uh, accomplished engineers. And producers, so it's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, All while Jay- having fun along the way. Yeah, we're, we're talking a lot of shit, to be honest. Some it's mostly us talking shit and then like a little bit of tips. And then uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> James is a great mixer. He's uh, moved out here to L.A. recently. Um, uh, longtime fan of the pod. Uh, is, uh, is a good human being. Oh. Blah, 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 blah. Um, you should listen to his advice. And he has a lot of great insight as well. I think that'll be different from mine um, in a good way here. Okay, so... Um, today's episode, you probably read the title, is is an interesting one. We haven't done this as well, because usually it's about me and Lou, right? It's usually about what you learn from us. But in this sense, I think this will be a good one. Like, I want to talk about um, five things that we learned watching other people mix. And for me, these are like pretty career-changing moments. Um, kind of like epiphany moments for me, just like... I felt this like changed the way that I mix forever and the way I thought about mixing forever. Um, but whether it's huge or whether it's something small, that was really helpful. Um, we're going to, between the two of us, talk about five different things that we've learned watching other people. Um, so yeah, I'm going to start us off here. And this is the, this is the, the most, probably the biggest thing that I've ever learned from anyone And I've had so many episodes, including an interview with Leslie Brathwaite, who is one of my mentors. Leslie Brathwaite is is an awesome engineer, an awesome human being. Um, Just look up his credits. Just look it up. He's he's basically like the the he's he's definitely has the throne as a mixer for trap music, like especially out in Atlanta. He Atlanta became a hub for hip hop music partially thanks to the efforts of Leslie. He's the GOAT. He is the GOAT. Um, and one thing that I learned from him, watching him mix, is the beauty, the importance um, of not overthinking shit. 
It's impressive. Like, at Mix with the Masters in France during that one-week seminar, I asked the other, the, the, the leaders of the group, like the owners of the company, the other people that were watching him and have watched other masters, quote-unquote masters, come to the studio to teach mixing concepts. I asked them, how is Leslie compared to everybody else? And it was really interesting. They, one of them said this specifically. He's like, there's two sides of it. One, I'm like, I'm so impressed because Leslie's mixes always sound so great. Number two, I feel really shitty because he's, everybody else has been talking about how complicated mixing is. And like Leslie's just shitting on everybody else by doing such <laughs> good records with like the least amount of complicated processing he's ever seen in his life. Um, which goes to the value. Like I really believe, and this is like, again, like having Leslie as a mentor, um, this is just the way that I like to think. This is how this is how I stay mentally healthy as well, and I um, because I can't I can't allow myself to overthink. That's like really unhealthy for me because I can get it's very cyclical. I don't want to get into that cycle. Um, so one of the things that I've learned that helps me make better mixes um, is to not overthink the process. To do what you think sounds good. I know that the I'm qu basically just quoting. Um, uh, Who's the producer's name? Oh man, don't overthink shit. Who says that? It's uh oh my gosh. I, I, you know you're like yelling at me. If you're listening to the pod, you're yelling at me for forgetting the <laughs> producer's name. Oh my gosh, his face is in my head. I can't remember. Anyway, um, oh this is gonna this is gonna burn me so bad. <laughs> don't overthink shit. Is Kenny Beats. I can't believe mm. I forgot Kenny Beats for a moment. Anyway, Kenny Beats. We apologize. I'm just like quoting Kenny Beats right now. Don't overthink shit. Keep it simple, right? Just have fun with it. Um, that rings so true for me to this day. I think that's part of the secret of my sauce. Like I feel like the reason why my mixes are, if, if it's better than anybody else's, um, it's because I'm way more in tune with the emotional connection of the song. Like I feel like I have the same gift that everybody else, which is I like music. I love music. And I make sure that anything that I touch or I mix is something that I would love listening to, that I can enjoy as a fan. And that is more emotional than it is technical. And my technical skills, like EQ and compression, is only there to provide more emotional enhancement. Um, I know that's like weird, hard to understand because that's like every intermediate to advanced level yeah. uh, like tip. And I think that's really hard to understand when you don't know what the tools do. But once you kind of figure out how to use your tools, that changed the game for me completely. And if you want to see a, like a visual example of what not overthinking it Leslie style looks like, he does live streams on YouTube. It's actually pretty cool. He'll play Xbox and like do Q&As. But he did one where he showed a session for a Cardi B mix he did, like Cardi B, one of the top artists right now. And it's insane to look at how little like plugins he has on there even some like he uses like the the stock eq a lot on pro tools just because it works for yeah. him yeah so if you want if you want to like actually see what that looks like you could go check out his stream but he it's true he he uses so little and i i want to i want to um voice the obvious elephant in the room uh, I'm going to mock some of some people here. Oh, but Leslie works on such a high level that he only receives really good stems. Oh. <laughs> Bitch, that makes it harder to mix. 
Imagine getting stems that already sound good. It's scary. That's so intimidating. <laughs> Imagine if if Leslie and I got bad stems. We would still outmix your show. Shut the fuck up. It's not about whether or not you get good stems or not. It's about you overthinking shit. You're overthinking it. Um, no, getting good or bad stems, I mean, sure, it can make or break the song in general, but uh, as a mixer for like the small part of the puzzle that you are, like as, I mean, if you're a producer and mixer, then it's partially your fault because like, I think arrangement has more to do with it than like the mixing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and like sometimes it feels like producers are really just trying to set you up to fail. Like if, yeah. it feels like that sometimes. I had a mix last week where I like I was like, "Yo, you you do you can do a better job than this." Like, yeah, and like I don't want you to over rely on me. I know you have a bomb ass mixer, but I don't want you to over rely on me. Yeah, and like um, that does happen, but that's no excuse. Uh, I still think that that's if anything, like it's that's an even more dangerous situation where it's easier to overthink things. Yeah, I, I guarantee that. Even though he's top tier, Leslie still every now and again gets poorly recorded stems. Oh, and he makes them sound great. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm not even gonna get into that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, in fact, anyway, I'm not even gonna tell yeah. that story. That's that's my first one for me. Like the importance importance of not overthinking. It's not even about not overthinking it. It's about staying true to the part of you that got you into music, which mm-hmm. is your genuine love for music and that like emotional reverberation that you get in the soul like the like the, yeah. the echo in your soul that you feel when you hear a good song when when you understand that the purpose of a mix is not to make a mix sound good but the purpose of his, the mix is to make the song make the song translate to make the song feel good yeah and the better part of like not overthinking it and being decisive is you'll also mix faster so you won't lose sight of what you wanted to do in the first place. So, because I feel like it, it's pretty easy to get burnt out if you're mixing a song for like hours and hours and hours. So yeah, being more decisive and not overthinking it could help you mix faster too. I agree with that. It's 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 um for me that's like the one, if I had one lesson that I wish I learned earlier or like the one lesson that is affected by mixing the most, it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's difficult to do. Like, it's just something that you have to continue to work on. Like, in order to be able to stop overthinking, takes quite a bit of confidence, takes quite a bit of practice, confidence that comes from practice and putting in the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it takes a little bit of, like, having that um, affirmation that, like, someone telling you that you're good, you know? Yeah. Whatever it takes, like, to, but to, like, you know, start start trying your very best to not overthink shit. Yeah. Um, and be true to your original child childlike self. The, yeah. the really pure side of you that just loves music. Yeah. You almost have to like proactively practice not overthinking it and it eventually becomes easier to do. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So that's my first one. Do you have one? I got one. Yes. Um, okay. Um, one that I learned from watching um, both DK and Lou and like other people online mixing is that it's okay sometimes to replace replace with like trigger or other plugins drum samples if their sample just sounds bad. Would you agree with that? Interesting. You've seen other people do it too? Hmm? Hmm. I'm trying to think. Colin Britton, he does it. He like he like has this whole trick of how to tune your and he does that with like live drums. Yeah. Yeah. I do it all the time, but I feel like I do it because I'm a bad boy. Oh. oh. So if you've seen other people do it, then I feel less like a bad boy. Yeah, I do know it's it's decently common in like metal or like oh, things like that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with heavier music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure, for sure. 
Um, I we were talking before recording the episode with that point was specifically the idea of like there's a difference between completely replacing a snare mm-hmm. and supplementing it by duplicating it and then triggering the duplicate and blending it in to use it more of like an EQ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like so, that. Yeah, it's adding to it. Um, that's that. There's different. Yeah. One one in particular that I saw you do, which made perfect sense as to why, is the kick they had had like a whoop, like before the kick hit. Do you remember that one? That's a lot of them, actually. Yeah. And so like you just pretty much what you did is when you blended in the other sample, you kind of took out the whoop with it. Yeah. It's like there's a lot of kick drums where the sub frequencies are delayed. So it's like boom, whoop. Yeah. Boom, whoop. So it's like transient and then like a couple milliseconds later is the sub filling yeah. it up. Which is like, that's pretty normal, but sometimes that can kind of kill the transient. Yeah. Um. So in order to maintain that punch, I try to get those sub frequencies to hit all at the same time. Yeah. And if you're, if you are planning on like completely replacing it, depending on how different it makes it sound, it might be good to reach out to the artist just to make sure they're, you're not completely changing the sound if they want that specific sound. Yeah, that's definitely based on the relationship with the artist or the producer. Yeah, yeah. So that's something to be cautious with, but just know it is an option. Well, to replace it, you should ask. But to supplement it, I think it's okay as long as yeah. it's not like obvious. Like, think about it like EQ. Yeah. I'm not going to ask the producer if I can EQ their kick drum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's just something like that. Like, so yeah, be cautious with it, but know that it's an option, um, especially if you have a good relationship. I feel like you could, they'll let you do it. That's That's actually pretty useful. I feel like I use supplemental... Trigger, like trigger is definitely a plugin that I use quite often, like Slate Trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep a sample pack of one shot drums that I keep, Tom's too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, even the the Slate default ones can sound good. Yeah. Um, I think they uh, sound a little bit creepy. Like, anyway, but uh, I do think that they sound better than anything stock logic drums. So yeah. um, just using those as supplemental. Yeah, it's pretty common. I like that a lot. That's pretty practical. Yeah. Do you have a process for like when you switch it out to make sure it's not like if I can't the pitch do a- of it is like off, on or off? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, Sometimes I mess with the tuning a little bit, but yeah. I don't overthink that. Okay. Yeah, I don't think putting the kick drum to the tune of the song is a make or break mix move. Yeah, I just know, Um, again, going back to like Colin Britton, it, it, he, he'll like because he is replacing like a live drum kit. So like when he replaces the sample, he'll, he does this thing on pro Q where you could like freeze it and it'll show you the fundamental note just to make sure that like the sample he's replacing it with is the same note as the, the same fundamental as like that. So the, the risk with that is that if the bass is playing and they're in the same fundamental, they're, they're hitting the one quite often. Like the bass mm-hmm. player is hitting one, the bass, the root note quite often. And if you match the kick drum, you're actually literally competing with the bass more. So if you get it in an in-between uh, frequency where it's not in the key, you actually conflict with the bass less. So that's something to think about as well. So that's why I don't just don't overthink it. Yeah. Like if it sounds good, it sounds good. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I've heard a lot of people say that they like, you know, pull out frequencies or put it, push in frequencies or try to match the thing. I don't think, again, I don't think that that's a mix or uh, make or break mix move, mm-hmm. um, but it is a cool option. Yeah. Um, very situational. Very situational. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like that. That's a really good practical thing. I I don't ever think to teach that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Don't be afraid to replace or supplement samples. I've also, in the opposite sense, you know what I've done? Hmm. DK, how'd you get the kick drum to hit so damn hard? 
Well, here's the thing. You had like nine kick drums stacked. Mm. And I deleted eight of them. That's how I got the kick drum to hit so hard. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you know when to mute it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, that's not the save all. But um, it's the idea like, you know, like again, being in tune with what sounds good is going to help you be better than doing something because someone told you that it's good. Yeah, these are like good tools to have and to try. And if it sounds better, go with it. If not, like figure something else out. By the way, that in-between thing, the only time that I could think of where like, so with like EDM music, sometimes the the kick drum is like pitched. Because like with most kick drums or snares, like snares sometimes have like a fundamental pitch. Mm-hmm. But most of the time it's like a splat. Yeah. But like if there's an EDM kick drum, which is just like an 808, like a very short 808. Ooh, ooh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, like if it's really obvious, I might tune it. Yeah. And then saturate it with third order harmonics to try to get the in-betweens that way. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but uh yeah, but that's just that's just that's again, that's based on the song. Yeah, okay. situational again. Yeah. So that's number two. I think that's really awesome. Um number three, which is coming from me. This is from Bob Horn. I love Bob Horn. Um, and I think he's an awesome human being. Shout out to you, Bob. And on top of that, I think his mixes sound great. I think his low end sounds amazing. Um, something that I learned from him is that I there's a part of me that like engineers kind of do this thing like a dick measuring competition where they're like, can you hear this? And it's like, mm. we're listening for dither and like everybody's like, yeah, yeah, I can hear that. But like, I'm sitting there going like, I can't fucking hear that. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, especially not on a, in a room that I'm unfamiliar with on speakers that I'm unfamiliar with. Like, yeah. in an, like me not in the sweet spot. Like I'm not fucking hearing that. Yeah. You know, and it's crazy that people have the ego engineers pretend like have the ego and pretend like they're here and something and it turns out that the plugin that they were messing with that everybody said that the sounds was better is it was bypassed the entire time you know <laughs> i hate i fucking hate that but that being said um i've seen like watching bob horn mix um he does things that are very small and subtle um, but can change the feel. So um, the idea of, because I'm pretty abrasive with my mixing. Like I am just like rat brash, big moves all the time, big moves. Mm-hmm. But um, and it, I'm afraid that if I like really focus on the super minute details, then I start to overthink things. And And going back to my first point, Bob does a really good job of, kind of doing small subtle moves and not overthinking it Mm -hmm. because you can really hear the difference like he'll pull out this frequency in the bass which lets the kick drum you can hear the kick drum come out a little more or vice versa pull it out of the kick drum or or boost it in the kick drum whatever and you can hear it and he's got the tightest out of anybody that i've ever heard mix he's always got the tightest low end. he's got Mm -hmm. really tight controlled low end and um um, same thing, like he spends a lot of time, like I know I talk about mixing fast. He does not mix fast, as fast, mm-hmm. um, but it's very controlled and he's somehow able to stay focused and somehow able to stay subjective, takes lots of breaks. Um, and he's like almost the opposite of the type of mixer that I am. And I was like, I loved watching that and to learn that from him. Um, 
and it kind of I don't know what the point I'm trying to make here, but the point like it's like the importance of intentional small moves and how that can affect the mix. Yeah, like it doesn't always have to be a big move. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Kind of yeah. thing. I know what you're talking about too. He's is it him or either him or his assistant um, talked about it on a podcast, but like. Something about like he'll do that small, very small, like cut out some frequencies in the low end and it will just like open up everything else. So yeah, I get what I get what you're saying. I'm trying to think of a good way to put it too, but it's it's a very almost again like having the kind of the confidence in your ear to just like you you could trust that like this you could trust that this little move will will make it sound better and that you don't have to go over the top sometimes. Yeah, it's that takes a lot of skill to do that and because like again i would recommend that people not to do i think people do that too much yeah but bob does it in a way where it's like he's doing it on purpose yeah so it's like it's a level beyond because like most people hyper focus on the details too much and they're not really getting making it better um so i recommend to don't overthink it right to mix fast to do big big abrasive moves but then he takes it like the next level beyond that is to like small, subtle, on purpose moves and bring it back to that sort of like baseline level. And he does a really great job. But yeah. he's also not like super complicated like Andrew Sheps. So he's still not quite Andrew Sheps level, who's like known for paralleling everything and like having the most crazy, unique workflows in Pro Tools. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. That's something that I appreciate as well. So coming back. So as much as I learned, think that like not overthinking is important, Bob taught me to kind of bring it back down and to. Um, if something needs it, it needs it. And it's okay to spend time on it. Yeah. Yeah. To get the little, little details and stuff. Yeah. I can't really think of more on that. That's pretty, that's yeah, pretty straightforward. straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. I have the next point. Um, and I'm trying to think of the best way to put this in words too. It kind of relates to what you said, um, is controlling the low end in terms of, um, I feel like when I first came out here, one of my biggest weaknesses was in my low end and it was kind of wonky. Um, I think in watching, again, both you and Lou, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, but like you guys seem to put an effort in making sure the low end is consistent and like controlled. Um, controlled is a good word for, yeah. for good low end. Yeah. Like um, like you, you said you don't use multiband EQ, but you'll like pretty much do some heavy compression sometimes on the low end or things like that to keep it in control. Yeah, or multiband uh, compression. I don't use multiband compression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rare, very rarely. Yeah, and like, um, since I've kind of started applying those things um, and really focusing on like, okay, how can I make the low end stay where it's at and like not go all whoa, whoa, and things like that, I feel like my mixes have like been able to get better and even louder too because that with the controlled low end, um, it's not eating up a bunch of uh, energy and headroom when I'm going into a clipper and then a limiter. So yeah, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, but yeah. So like, I guess to explain to everyone, like, what do you usually do to control the low end? Are you asking me? I'm asking you. Yeah. Oh, good question. Um, 
what am I doing usually to control the low end? Compression, obviously. Uh, potentially some some narrow cut EQs. Like if some some basses resonate more loud at a single note than yeah. at the other notes. Um, uh, saturation distortion to make sure, uh, depending on the song and the needs, to make sure that if there's sub frequencies that are really low, like here's something like this is something that I only do every once in a while. Um, but I'll duplicate if if a sub wolf if their sub bass is like an octave lower than what I know most people are ever gonna hear. Yeah. So it's eating up the headroom because it's like twenty to forty hertz of just with the root note. Yeah. Right on these eight oh eights. And um what I do is I duplicate it and I turn it up an octave. And then mm. I saturate the shit out of that and cut out the low end of that and I blend that in a little bit to make yeah. sure that like if we're eating the headroom, I'm gonna make sure that it's heard a little bit. Yeah. You know, and some things like that, depending on the song. Um, yeah, it's not, I wonder if it's not so much about the techniques that we use, but rather I like the idea of like controlled low end. Um, yeah, I think I like the that. The importance of low end, yeah. Um, at least from what it seems like watching you do it, it's something I've kind of started doing with my mixes too, is taking that time in the very beginning of the mix to like focus on getting the low end right. Oh, and right. I feel like that clears it up when you're starting to add in other elements. It, it helps kind of already give reference to like, okay, this space is already under control and it kind of helps you with the rest of the mix style of things in. I mean, you know that I'm, I'm, I believe sincerely that you should mix the bass first. I mean, the idea that like um, most people mix with the drums first. They start with the kick drum, they go to the snare, they have the toms, they go to the overheads, the room, whatever, yeah. and then they get to the bass. Yeah. But it's like you have so many, you have so much time to forget what the kick drum sounds like. Yeah. When the most important part is the kick drum and the bass. So I just do bass and then immediately go into the kick drum. That's what Make I sure do, those yeah. two things are done first so the foundation is solid. Because, like, yeah, the low end can totally ruin a mix or, like, can, can make the song quiet, can make the song feel off. Um, low end is important, especially with, like, modern music. Yeah. Less so in, like, rock where it's like there's not as much low end or it's not as vital. Yeah. But, um, yeah, with like modern pop kind of stuff, low end is very crucial, so it's got to be controlled. It can be a lot. You can have a lot of low end, but it's got to be controlled. It can't be floppy. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, floppy is another good word too. Yeah, yeah. finding, yeah. And I think that's like, and again, I think that's why I like that little, whatever Bob Horton does when he, when he cuts out those low ends and it opens things up is he probably takes out that little bit of floppiness. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like if you once you start getting your low end under control, it'll it'll a I feel like it'll right off the bat make your make your mixes overall louder just because it's not eating up a lot of headroom. Um, but yeah, uh, I feel like that was like a pretty big difference I've like noticed when coming out here noticing on a personal you guys. level. Yeah, yeah on yeah. a personal level. I mean, it is L.A. where like we we basically push the envelope on low end out here. Yeah, say Nashville pushing the envelope and creating the culture of low end. It might be Atlanta, but um, it's it's LA or Atlanta. Yeah, um, and it still sounds loud. Like that's the thing. It sounds you can make the low end sound loud, but like if it, controlled at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Intentional as well as another adjective to or like words yeah. there. Okay. Um, my last thing, number five. This is something that I learned from a local dude, someone in an amateur, as far as career wise, but. I respect him so damn much. And I've talked about him so damn much. He kind of changed my perspective on many different things. He's like one of the most talented producers 
I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Um, his name is Nels, and I've had him on the show before as well. Um, he's out in Utah. What up, Nels? Um, I learned from him the importance of effects, reverbs, delays, um, even tremolo, panning, automation, um, contrast, intentional contrast uh, from the production and then arrangement in general and how important that is. Like I still to this day, like, um, I mean, obviously it's, it's, uh, this is not like a final answer, but I, I think that I'm, I think that arrangement is more important than mixing. That if the arrangement isn't thoughtful, and if you just put a bunch of mid-range instruments, mid-range instruments, and you just have a bunch of Wurlitzers and a bunch of Rhodes and a bunch of like guitars with a bunch of mid-range, like there's only so much that mixing can do. So it's it's about like it, you got to have thoughtful arrangement. He made that very clear for me. I think he still to this day has like some of the best use of reverbs, tremolo, delay that I've ever heard in my goddamn life. Like, and he is, he is so good at it. And one of the things that makes him so good is the contrast. He will use a delay for one word mm. in a five minute song. And you will never hear that same delay ever again. Interesting. And it's just like, what? Yeah. And like he'll take the time to make sure that there's contrast. He is so good at having money moments. Moments where it's just like ear candy. Just placing small ear candy. Um, I don't think that makes or breaks a song. But it just, it just elevates a song to like such a high level. And, and how that affects me as a mixer. I know he's not a mixer. This is like not a mix thing. But how that affects me as a mixer is like... You'll notice there's like a classic DK move is one, rarely ever do I do blanket reverbs. Even if I'm mixing a song fucking fast, I'll still take a moment to like automate that reverb send mm -hmm. from verse to chorus. And the classic thing that I love to do is like I'll like hyper emphasize and automate the reverb to be loud towards the end of the pre-course. And then the final bar of the pre-course, I'll make it fucking dry. No mm. reverb, no echo, no delay. And then that reverb explodes again in the chorus. Yeah. Like that's um, that's something. And I'm like not afraid to have like a really bright, harsh reverb because of Nels. Like Nels is like, if you've seen my Valhalla my Valhalla vintage word, like they're really harsh, bright reverbs mm -hmm. that it's like, they stand out. Like it's not a background thing to make sure that you have this, like this feeling of sensation of space. No, a reverb is an instrument. Like yeah. he will literally make samples out of reverbs. And it's, mm. it's like this, this, when it comes to my effects game, which I think, I think that my effects game is all right. Like, I don't think I'm the best in the world, but he, really put me on to at least being thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. First step, being thoughtful about and doing it intentionally, doing a lot of automation and being okay using a reverb or like a throw, a delay throw or like weird things like tremolo or like different things that you've never used within your, um, within your, uh, uh, your plugins, like weird modulation tools that you've never used, using it sparsely, like being okay with using it only once in the song, mm. um, trying out different ideas, um, and, and like building contrast with that has, has definitely affected my mixing. Um, and I think that that is one of the coolest things 
Dude, you got to listen to anything. He, he bro has like 15 yeah, monthly listeners. It and it is just so incredibly talented. I I love his songs to death. Um yeah. I think he's that he just opened up a door for me like mm-hmm. I think th- and now like I can't listen to mixes where there is a blanket reverb or a blanket delay. I think it sounds cheap. Hmm. Sounds cheap and low effort. Yeah. And like how do you make and going on about this, like I do feel like automation is one of the ways to make a record feel like you spent time on it. Oh yeah. Like to make it feel expensive, like to, to make something feel expensive, you have to make it like, think of like Mr. Beast or like a YouTube creator. You can tell when it feels like someone took effort to make that video. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually have to take effort, but you can, you can get good at making it feel like you took effort. I think automating, um, is one of those things as well. Like to convey that feeling of like, this sounds fucking expensive because there's so much contrast and there's so many small things that aren't repeated. Yeah. Um, like even little delay throws here or there could like, oh, yeah. it could bring it up. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it's a big deal and it's, you don't want to force it. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, that, that kind of changed the game for me as far as like how I think about effects. Yeah, something I think you mentioned in the beginning of talking about them too is the arrangement in terms of having the instruments kind of more properly fill out the the frequency spectrum. I think that's someone else who I think does that well is um, Mike McClellan, who you work with. Oh, great producer! I've like I've like seen his stems before and how they sound unmixed, and they already sound amazing unmixed. And I think a big part of that is that he has he knows how to produce and how to fill out everything so that like everything still has its place and they're not like you don't have like eight guitars that are doing the same thing stacked in like you know one oh, he spot. is so tasteful yeah he he knows how to do he it he doesn't put a guitar there because y- you can put a guitar there yeah he only does it if it's absolutely necessary yeah it just feels balanced like right off the bat and so i think that helps the mix even be better every great producer that i've ever worked with um whether it's trap or full-on, full big band funk, mm-hmm. right? Every great producer knows when too much is too much. They're very intentional with when they put things there. Good with ear candy. Again, the contrast, the, the purposeful placement, and not just easily repeated for the sake of repetition. Yeah. Or like... Oh, the, I can. I know how to play guitar, or I know how to play the Rhodes here, and it'd be cool to just add a Rhodes here to show off that I can play Rhodes. No, yeah. no, 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 no. It's so intentional. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, you don't have to mix it because the arrangement itself is already mixed. Yeah, and at that point, I feel like it does... Because sometimes when mixing, it, it could sometimes feel like you're fixing than enhancing, but I feel like with, with, with a producer who knows how to record it right, it's nice because then you're just enhancing the song. Yeah. You know what I mean? And with recordings, like, for example, like with a funk with funk or rock where it's like a drummer, like a proper drummer, and you're not replacing it with samples, um, the drummer itself needs to feel that as well. I yeah. mean, it's, it's eventually the producer's fault because, like, the producer's going to be in charge just like a director of a film. Like, hey, can you, can you hit the kick drum harder during the chorus? Can you be a little softer on the cymbals during this part here? Mm-hmm. Can you change up the pattern a little bit? Like it's it's at the end of the day, it's the producer's choice, but um, the drummer having the ability to do that because I've met some drummers that can be they're like metronomes, they can be on time, but they're horrible drummers because they only know one dynamic, which is loud. Yeah, um, and so like that's difficult to work with. Uh, but yeah, dude, Mike is such a good job, and and one easy way. 
of doing this in a trap. Like, so I think like trap is, is a good example of talking about arrangement because it's really simple. Mm-hmm. Um, having a different kick drum for the kick versus the verse. Like that's a mm. common trap arrangement thing that can really change the vibe of a song. Yeah. And it can, and it can a- appropriately lower the intensity during the verses so it can properly explode in the chorus if that's what the intention is. Yeah. Like changing the tone of the 808. So it's like, I don't have to mix much if I have two different 808 tracks and one is for the verses and one is for the chorus and they feel different so I don't have to automate anything. Yeah. It's different for a rock band because like, what are you going to do? Just play louder, play the guitar louder in the chorus. Like, um, you can, I mean, that's why pedals are so good for guitar players because they can change the tone for different parts of the sound. Like, you're arranging the song with the tools. You can play louder, you can double up guitars, you can play an acoustic, if you're recording, you can play an acoustic guitar versus an electric guitar, you can have a clean guitar versus a dirty guitar. Again, use a boost. Um, These are all the arrangement is. Imagine if it was the mixer's job to, uh, to make sure that your guitar is loud enough during the guitar solo. Yeah. Like, he's going to miss it half the times. Yeah. Like, um, so if you did the half the work, it's going to make the mix sound better. Um, I'm trying to remember. I feel so bad. He used to work at the studio. I was talking to him at the mixer last week. Um, and he works a lot in, like, Spanish guitar kind of genre. And um, I was just asking him from a mixing perspective how it works. Because, like, it's, he said it's usually just four guitars playing and stuff. And a big part of it is that just in the way that it's arranged... It, it 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 takes up everything. So even though it's only guitars being played, they're playing different parts of the guitar. They're only playing high guitar on one track and then like different kind of guitar on the other. Is so there, you, are you talking about like recording a mariachi band? I'm trying to remember what I don't remember specifically. Like, the genre. For example, like in a mariachi band or like a string quartet, you have a cello which takes up different frequencies than the viola, which takes up different frequencies from the first and second violin. Yeah. The first violin is playing higher notes, usually playing the melody. Yeah, the violin. the The second violin is playing like harmony, so it's like it's automatically being arranged, so it's yeah. not conflicting with each other. You can hear the cello clearly. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Junior Ache. He's like a Spanish artist kind of vibe, but yeah, it's like even with like I'm just not, a few yeah. of the same instruments, they were still conscious of making sure it's not just a bunch of guitars playing, but that it fills out the space. Yeah, that's that's uh, super duper important. I, I do again like arrangement everything. Um, Nels is also the same dude that mixes on his wired Apple headphones and he he can outmix most people. He's a producer, not a mixer mm-hmm. using head Apple earbuds because that's what he listens to most. He's like really used to them. Yeah. And he, uh, he can outmix most other, produ- most other producers I've met. Respect. He's so, he's so talented. Um, yeah. So. Shout out to Nels. I can Shout only speak out. highly of him. Um, yeah, that's it for that's the five yeah. things for us. That's yeah, a, that was a good that was a good convo. That's a good uh, good episode there. What are the takeaways here? One, don't overthink it. Two, don't be afraid to adjust the drums. Mm-hmm. You know, and make sure that the song is hitting in a way that you want that the artist wants. Number three, as much as you don't overthink it, don't be afraid to get detailed work in. Number four was, what was yours again? This, uh, low end, control your low end. Control your low end. Taking the time to control your low end. Uh, number five, contrast, effects, um, and arrangement. I think a lot of these have the overarching theme of taking the time. Which is so funny because at the same time, like, <laughs> if you're taking too much time, my number one thing was don't take too much time. Yeah. 
So um, I do feel like if the producer and the the producer takes the time, the song artist takes the time and to do the work, then it's it's less important for the mixer to take the time. Yeah. And it's like it's you don't you don't want to m- let the mixer take too much time. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a good goal to have. Like if you're a yeah. producer that is relying too heavily on the mixer, like it's not as going to be as good as a mix. Yeah. Let no matter how good the mixer is. Produce so well that like the mixer gets to just focus on enhancing your song and they don't have to fix anything. Yeah. As a mixer, I think it's not the best to spend too much time on something. As a producer, I think it is your job to overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the mixer's job is to remind you like, hey, don't, you don't need to, you did a good job. Yeah. That's like, that's, in every scenario that I've worked in and people that I've talked to, that always ends up making the best products. Like the, the, the songs that people are most proud of, it's the one where the producer, even if he was in the zone, in flow state, and didn't spend that much time on it because they was feeling everything, like took the time to alleviate the pressure from the mixer's job and the mixer like barely had to do anything. Like those yeah. are the ones that like ev- in all parties are like the happiest with. So maybe this episode is about putting the pressure back onto the producer and to like, yeah. as much as I think mixing is important, I don't think it's half as important as like a pr- good producer. Yeah. It's a good indicator that like the higher you get up, the mixers do less because yeah. the producers do a lot. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of a good indicator of how professional you're being with it. Yeah. Uh, there's something to be said as well as like usually producers at various different levels, top or bottom. It's uh, not always, there's not always a budget for producers because you can give away percentage of songwriting or whatever, but there's almost always a budget for mixers. (laughs) (laughs) You don't send out a song without getting a mix. That's so whatever. Take that as you will. All right. um, On that note, thank you so much for listening. Check out the exclusive episodes. You want to pitch the exclusive episodes real quick? Yes. On the exclusive episodes, we talk about things a lot more technical. Um, At the moment, it's DK, Brayden, and I. Um, And then by the end of the year, it'll just be DK and I. Um, And we we take clips from uh, famous, well-known mixers, and we kind of break them down and talk about more specifics. Um, Like we'll talk about sometimes very specific things like settings that we'll do sometimes, um, or it could sometimes be more broad. Um, But yeah, if you're, if you're looking for more specific technical tips, that's the good place to go. Awesome. Again, mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive to get access to those episodes, $4 a month or $40 a year. Thank you for all of our subscribers. If you haven't already, if you, if you've gotten any sort of, any sort of benefit from listening to this podcast. Free way you can support us is rate the podcast five stars. Appreciate it. Just say a couple sentences. We see those numbers going up. We see the comments. Um, we love it. We, that's free support and uh, appreciate y'all. Yeah. Other we love than, all of you. Yeah. Especially than, you, Jonathan. Especially who the fuck is Jonathan? I don't know, but there's someone out there there's who's a, like, oh, there's thank a dude you. named Jonathan out there listening right now. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. All righty. On that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy.
We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio based out of Berlin. Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment. Everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers and to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and transformers. It's fantastic. They have digitally controlled analog gear, which I'm a huge, huge fan of. They've got two different pieces of that. They've got 500 series gear. So whether you're a tracking engineer, a mixing engineer, or a mastering engineer, you need to check out this high quality company, Tegler. And guess what? Their prices, they're not they're not crazy. They're mid-range prices for high-end equipment. They're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. Now back to the show. <laughs> 